0: Welcome to the podcast, Six Ways to Sunday podcast with Craig DeForest. We have a great guest. We always have great guests, interesting guests with uh, an expertise that we don't often talk about, which is fundraising. Welcome to the podcast, Wendell Geist. Glad to be here. Wendell and I go all the way back to the mighty Bethany Bible College back in the 1970s, back in the dark ages when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And later on, uh, Bethany moved its way up uh, slowly but surely to become Bethany College and then Bethany University. And our alma mater, unfortunately, has, uh, has gone away and no longer exists in the beautiful hills of Scotts Valley, California, the Santa Cruz Mountains. And Wendell was there for a couple of years, graduated the year before I did. And uh, we have had a friendship ever since. And I'm glad that I was able, we were able to bring Wendell on for an interview. Now, Wendell, when you left Bethany, you went back to your native state of Arizona, and began working in the fundraising world.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, uh, yeah, I was in I was in ministry for a while at a church, but you know, um, it's kind of interesting how different things in your your life come together. I had a lot of uh, photography classes. I had actually been accepted into the School of Architecture at, at ASU, and then I went up to. Uh, Bethany Bible College there and got a lot of theology and so I went back and worked on a church staff uh, and how I got into publishing or printing was that that church church was on a a growth pattern and they wanted to do a a monthly magazine. Uh, So with some of the marketing skills, photography, radio, design, interest in people, all of that. It all got amalgamated into, hey, would you be the editor on this magazine? And that's how I got into print and got into interviewing, got into a portion of that was fundraising for the church, but mostly it was for a congregation of more than a thousand or two thousand people. It was a great way to communicate monthly, uh, more individual stories, and it kept, kept people involved. And also it could be used as a a feature point of reading or contact from from the staff to the congregational level for certain fundraising projects, mission outreaches, maybe building projects and things like that.
0: Back in those days, that would all be printed and you would either mail it or hand it out, yeah?
1: Absolutely. You'd, You'd have some handouts on Sunday to keep things fresh week to week. People look forward to that. And then you'd have a monthly magazine, probably, you know, 12 to Whatever the spreads worked out to be 12 to 16 to 20 pages, which was quite an accomplishment for, for a local church. And uh, uh, it, it, it really was a handshake. It really was a monthly handshake for a large number of people in uh, Phoenix, Arizona.
0: How long did you work as the editor on that magazine, that newsletter, until things started to change and maybe your portfolio changed too?
1: Well, I think I was on that a couple of, a couple of years. uh, And then I had an opportunity to uh, get in with a nonprofit. And when you say we go way back and, you know, it's like, we're back in the dark ages. Well, back, back in the 1980, all of that, that was a, that was a golden age of direct mail. That was, uh, and also then on the early stages of infomercials, which raise all kinds of money for commercial adventures. But back in the, back in the 80s, uh, there were a lot of nonprofits uh, putting out a lot of direct mail for the causes. You, if you go way back, you can think of March of Dimes and then you can think of uh, you know the Heart Association, Cancer Society and all of that. There was famous mailing that always came around your neighborhood and it was like, the dime collection. I think that one. I actually can't remember the the cause that it was, but it was actually give a dime. a oh, march of dimes. What am I? What am I saying? Go around your neighborhood, collect as many dimes as you could. Uh, which seems peanuts today, but at that time, that was a way of garnering names. That was a way of garnering interest in causes, and it was a unique package in the mail. I think it also included a live dime, so people weren't going to throw it away, and. Uh, yeah, you you kind of became the Avon lady for the, uh, the March of Dimes cause, and it got people involved, and it also uh, allowed March of Dimes to grow their list of donors.
0: You know, you're talking about donors and lists. I remember working years ago for my dad at a little tiny uh, ministry called Oriental Missionary Crusade uh, that was started by a man, a missionary, Ernie Reb, back in the day. And the acquisition of names to become donors was really important back then. In fact, you could buy lists of uh, mailing lists from magazines and from different groups. And my dad bought the list from Playboy magazine and, and actually sent out a Christian materials because he, he had heard that the Playboy mailing list was, everyone was so guilty, they felt like they should give to a good cause. I'm not sure how well that went, but can you talk about donor acquisition and mailing lists? Do people, do groups still do that?
1: Uh, groups still do that. There's, it, it's probably in, in this day and age of data and opting in and opting out and uh, who's using my uh, my name and, and my information, which a lot of it is so far beyond our control. It's it's amazing. But back in the day, yes, there were a lot of nonprofits that swapped lists or rented out names. Uh, I work mostly with, uh, now I work with organizations that basically say, your name is yours, we're going to keep it private. But back in the day, yes, you would rent lists because what you wanted to do, donor acquisition is very important somebody doesn't become a donor of a cause and then just stay with it to in, uh, in, in perpetuity. There's a, there's a, a, a shelf life of donor activity. Um, and kind of one of the, one of the rules is the higher somebody, the higher up somebody gives the, the larger the donation, the more they are connected to your cause. And so you're out trying to get names and are you trying to get a $5 name a 15, a $30 a month, $50 a month, a name, you'll you'll see a lot of this going on these days with like Humane Society and uh, ecological outreaches, uh, certain mission organizations. You still have uh, organizations like Save the Children and all of of these that help you sponsor a child and things like that. But the illustration would be is if you had a a funnel, you're putting in a large amount of names at the top, but there's always a hole in a funnel and there are always names dropping out the bottom. So when you look at a list of, let's say somebody has a list of 20,000 people, it's not static. It's not gonna remain that way forever. And you are constantly trying to find new names, new activity, new acquisition, uh, somebody that identifies with your cause and, and really has a heart for it. Some of these people may only give twice a year. Some of these people, depending on what your outreach is, may give every month, You know, certainly those that Sponsor children are committed to giving a donation uh, automatically once you get into an organization like that, and they tend to they tend to sponsor that child many times. If they're young in grade school, they'll take them all the way through entry into college. Uh, people people want to give. Uh, in America, we're a very giving society, um, and it's not the rich that give the most. It's the it's the average person. Committed to their church, uh, committed to a local outreach. Maybe maybe it's the boys and girls club that they have a, a soft spot for. So you're always looking for, for you know people that do identify with your cause. And in the way you communicate with them and keep them in the loop is uh it's the path or the non-path where they're either gonna jump on or walk off that path fairly soon. And and you can tell that through their responses because you are always looking at the data.
0: Is when you're sending out back then into the early 80s, sending out direct mail uh, on paper with return envelopes, uh, pledge cards or giving cards, stamp on the envelope, et cetera. Was there any advantage to sending out donor mail or donor uh, outreaches more than just once a month? Or was it a once a month target?
1: Uh, It depends on the organization. And a lot of that deals with the strategy of an organization and how well they understand uh, what they're getting into when they get into fundraising. Fundraising is not a stop and go activity if you are expecting longevity in fundraising. and like I say, back in the 80s, you had a lot of organizations, I named some of them, some were large, some were smaller, um, but you have a lot of competition in the mailbox. You're not the only one trying to put something in the mailbox and putting a teaser on the envelope or an identifying logo that they have a, a connection with to get them to open up that piece of mail. I mean, I work in the business where people make their split second decision on whether to donate uh, literally in a couple of minutes. and just for the sake of discussion here, half the people sort the mail over a garbage can. So when you when you when you turn that envelope over and you see that it's from your your favorite uh, charity, many people set that aside. We'll look at that later. But you can't in in the environment back in the day. There were lots of people that said, "Well, we've got a a mid year or we've got a fall outreach." Uh, a fundraising piece and then certainly we're going to take advantage of christmas or but in the meantime they were up against people putting out a piece of mail every month and there are there are cycles during the year of better giving it's pretty good in the spring it's probably getting better in the fall summer is as dry as summer can be i mean it's it's your low point for many people and then you get into october november december uh that's the cream of the crop that's the you know that's you want to be in the mail then. Everybody's in the mail then. So you've got as an organization, are you prepared to do 12 mailings a year? I mean, there are, there are organizations today that do 24 mailings a year. On top of that, they'll do six more special mailings to a special group. It gets it goes from one large uh, number of, again, I'll just say 20,000 people on a mailing list too, but in this 20,000, We've got a thousand people that are able to give X. It's their, their larger donors. We've got the next, you know, 4,000 people that are able to give. Let's say you know all of this data. You finally have to break down your list to, to ask yourself who are the best. You don't want to just be monolithic and write one, you know, one size does not fit all. So you become aware of your, your data, you study it, you know, who your donors are, you know, how you're connecting with them. And, uh, in today's age, uh, once a month you'd get lost. You get lost in the shuffle because you're probably doing direct mail and you're doing digital and you're trying to keep a presence in front of people for your cause on several different channels just, just to keep up, just to keep your face in front of people.
0: It's changed also with email tremendously uh, because y- you can click a button. Uh, and you could even probably target, I'm thinking out loud, target certain areas with an email or zip codes and click it's sent out to 10,000, 20,000 or even more. But on the other hand, tell me, Wendell, someone gets it in their inbox and they can just click delete. They don't even have to go to the trash can. So there must be some challenges to email that are new that never existed with paper and mailing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a fallacy in in fundraising and more people understand it now than they did when email first came out. Email first came out, Craig. It's like, wow, we could just do email. It's like so cheap, click a button, go send it to 20,000 people. We don't have to print. We don't have to pay postage. We don't have, we can write a shorter message and they're just going to give. It's not the way it works. I'm not saying you can't raise money through email, but the dynamics, a direct mail donor is a much more dedicated donor to an organization and will give, not necessarily larger amounts, but if you truly get them to be a donor, which one of, the rule, one of the rules or things to look at, can you get somebody to give twice within six months? They're probably gonna be with you several years down the road. If you can't capture the attention of somebody, the heart of somebody and be connected with somebody with a couple of gifts towards your cause as they first get on, um, you're probably saying bye bye even if you sent them 12 more mailings. Email is cheaper. You will not have the connection with an email donor. They may give, they may give a few times. They are not going to stay with you as long as a dedicated uh, direct mail donor, uh, a donor that's also followed up with with telephone, uh, a donor that gets special mailings. It's a completely different dynamic. And you can do a lot of them and you are up against loads of email in everybody's daily inbox.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it is as quick as looking at who it's from. And by the way, if you are writing fundraising email, your subject line is the most agonizing thing I work on. 6, 10, what, 12 words to try and get somebody, uh, somebody's attention, not fall into MailChimp's category of, uh, this is uh, this is spam because you, you did a bunch of capital letters. Uh, oh, hey, you put an ampersand in there. Wow, you used an exclamation point. We're gonna like dump you out into spam. So you're fighting you're fighting against the delivery systems who want to keep their delivery clean and not be accused of sending you spam. And then you're also trying to get a catchy subject line. Then you also have to make use of the preview line. You can't forget about use, using because a lot of people see the subject line. And it's kind of an addendum to the subject line when you see a little bit more in the preview. You know, let's say I'm, I'm writing email for somebody who's trying to do water wells or something. And I, I might use their salutation in the subject line, which is, by the way, a very good thing to do. And it would say, Craig, they're dying for clean water. And then on that preview line is, we've only got 50 wells to go, please help now. Mm-hmm. There's something between the two lines that actually adds to the attention in that quick judgment point as we go through our email. And you have to be very aware of both the subject line and that, but ultimately, even though you can raise money through email, you can't build your entire organization as solid as you can as you develop direct mail. Direct mail is still bigger gifts, longer lasting relationships. even through all the technology and all of the, all of the communication that goes on today.
0: Great time talking to Wendell Geis, media professional and creative. Hope you join us next time on the next episode. Thanks.